Welcome back to the Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Hey friends, I'm back with an interview, this time with my friend Katie Avila. We talked about creativity, the muse, and embodiment. Ever since Uranus has been in Taurus from about 2018 to now, I've been low-key and high-key promoting embodiment as a form of awakening. Uranus is a transpersonal planet. It represents things like contacting information from beyond the known, channeling, paradigm shift, brilliance, genius, those flashes of insight, awakening. And Taurus is about the body. So I would wish on anyone new, revelatory, meaningful experiences related to embodiment and our relationship with the body during this transit and onward. I first met Katie at an embodiment retreat that she was assisting and fell in love with her. We had so many great conversations about creative writing, the intricacies of erotic, fully alive life, astrology, and more. So I've been excited to have her on the show ever since then. I reached out because she has an upcoming program, Muse, that I felt many of you would benefit from. I can vouch that Katie's got the juice, so if you've been looking for support around embodiment and creativity, do tap in. Talking with Katie to record this conversation felt so affirming to me about my own creative process at this time and boosted me in acknowledging for myself how important that is and to really cherish this time in my life where I'm giving a lot of space and time to my artist self via the audio novella that I've been sharing here to the podcast. I hope you find similar encouragement for your art and the art of your life by listening. Katie Avila is a musician, writer, artist, and embodiment guide. Whether she is playing bass and singing in her band Cat's Roar, facilitating transformative embodiment, or writing poetry— She lives a life in service to full expression. In one-on-one mentorships and group containers, she supports people in expressing their emotions, releasing stuck energy and traumas from the body so that they may open to their authentic expression, feel the creative pulse of the universe moving through them, and allow it to create their lives. Her upcoming program, Muse, is a three-month journey of creative embodiment transformative self-expression practices, exploring life as art, and becoming your own muse. And you can find her at katieavila.com. That is K-A-T-Y-A-V-I-L-A. And that will also be in the show notes. And I'll leave you to our conversation now. Hey everyone, I'm here with Katie Avila, embodiment guide that I got to spend some time with at a retreat held by our friend Carla Palomino. And we had so many wonderful conversations about astrology and share a path of connecting astrology to embodiment. Um, And you have so many beautiful gifts around that and music and creativity. So I'm really excited to talk with you today 
Um, I guess to get started, Katie, I would love to have you introduce yourself and share with us um, a little bit about your practice and how you came to astrology and embodiment and combining them. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm really excited to talk with you. Um, Yeah. Well, my path to embodiment came from um, severe disembodiment, (laughs) living most of my life up in my head. Um, And feeling like there was this longing, this desire to just like exist in a different way. So I began in practicing embodiment about four years ago. And, um, you know, it's all been very serendipitous how I've actually come into becoming an embodiment guide and facilitator. It was never what I planned on. Um, but it really just showed me a new way of living that I had such a deep desire for my whole life and hadn't been able to put words to. And, um, you know, I had studied writing for a long time and studied music for a really long time and eventually had kind of fallen away from music just because of the pressures around creative arts in a lot of ways. And um, when I began to do embodiment practice, I just felt music coming through me again. Like I would be doing a movement practice and would just start singing. And, um, it really just brought me back into who I feel like I am inherently as someone who loves to sing and dance and express in that way. And alongside that path, kind of parallel timelines, I was like getting a lot more deeply into astrology at the same time and finding out things about myself in my kind of cosmological blueprint that really supported me moving in the world as an artist and as someone who sings and creates and writes and expresses myself in that way. So um, it was kind of like many different paths all just converged into one. And I began facilitating embodiment circles online during the pandemic. I felt like there was a real need for people to be in their bodies. And I focused those on astrology and on the current transits and whatever the moon was doing at the time. And then more recently have shifted into just more embodied expression, just making more space for people to express themselves um, emotionally and authentically and creatively. I would love to hear more about this process of it kind of being an innate artist and singer and how, you know, we as creatives can maybe get locked out of our own magic when the pressure is on and what it was like to come back to it, like what allowed it to feel free again? Yeah. Um, I have wanted to be a singer since I was like five. Like it was just one of the earliest things that I knew about myself. And um, I sang in choir, like my family couldn't afford voice lessons. So I just sang in choir from um, like sixth grade through my sophomore year of college and learned so much and had so many beautiful experiences. And in retrospect, realize how supportive that was for my health and well-being to be singing all along. Like I didn't, I knew obviously it made me feel good, but I didn't realize that that was kind of my main embodiment practice growing up was every day breathing exercises and vocal practice and being in a room and feeling my voice merge with other people. It was incredibly healing. And um, so I did that for 10 years and then 
was in college and was considering being a vocal performance major and just the pressure of um, what it means to be a vocal performance major. You either study classical opera or jazz and not feeling like I fit into either of those. I just felt like I wasn't good enough. And that was kind of the first time in my life that I that I felt that way. I always had this strange confidence about me that I knew I could do things that I wanted to. And I just, I honestly had a director that was pretty critical. And um, I, I just let it die. It was kind of the first grief portal I went through too. Like I lost a pet at the same time that I quit choir. And um, I remember like not really knowing what grief was until that. And um, after that, interestingly enough, like I began to study writing and creative writing. And it felt like it was just this other outlet for voice to come through me. Um, So it felt really natural and really true. I studied English, got a master's in creative writing and began teaching um, English and creative arts at different universities or schools and high schools. And um, yeah, it it fulfilled it, but it wasn't the same thing. You know, there was still something kind of missing. And um, yeah, so like I said, I was just like in in my embodiment classes and literally feeling this archetype of like the muse coming through me. This one who just like wants to sing and just wants to hear her voice. And it felt like such a homecoming. Um, and also, I, I really feel like the way that it happened was exactly as it was supposed to happen because I actually let the dream die for like seven years like a long time, like most a of good my Saturn number. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like most of my twenties, I was like, I'm not a singer anymore, which was like a huge part of me. But I think I really needed to let it die so that it could come back in a new way. What were the parts of your chart that you feel connect to your mythos as a singer and performer? Yeah. Well, I have a Leo moon, so that feels, okay. <laughs> yeah, that feels really obvious. Um, and yeah, expression, creative expression just has always been so cathartic for me. Like it's one of the only things that before I started getting into more spiritual healing practices, I was always just like art is what heals me, you know? Um, and then I have a lot of 12th house energy. I have um, my sun, Mercury, Venus, um, Pluto, Black Moon Lilith all conjunct in the 12th house. And so I think just that connection to music and poetry and like lyricism and that kind of connection to the collective unconscious that I feel like is such like a wellspring for creative juice feels like those two pieces for sure really hold a lot of the magic there. Mm. Yeah. And you're a Scorpio sun too. And I... I forget where this came through recently, but I was talking with a friend around um, the, you know, common like associations with Scorpio and how people think it's about intensity, which it can definitely be an aspect, but there's also a charisma quality to Scorpio. And when I've seen you sing or perform, you know, even casually, like when we were in circle at the retreat, like you do have this magnetic quality and this kind of inviting into the muse or inviting into creativity. And I would love to hear more your thoughts on where creativity can be sourced from. Um, You know, like, is it coming from this kind of 
ethereal place or like how does it come in through the body? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, thank you. I really appreciate that reflection. Um, I think it. I think it's a few different places. So for me, one place definitely is just like emotion, just taking the source of the emotion and how it feels and trying to put that into words inherently becomes art. Um, so yeah, I think that that's kind of this thing I've always known is like, you know, when I was angry, I would write an angry song, even as like an angsty emo teenager, you know, or when I was feeling that longing, like noticing where I'm feeling it in my body and so much, um, so much art or poetry is just like describing sensations in a lot of ways, you know? Um, so I think emotion is like a great source for where to start with creating. I think, um, the two other things that I feel like are really powerful for me. One is the earth connecting with the earth. It feels like there's just that current of life force energy that comes through me when I sit my ass down on the dirt, (laughs) you know? Um, and, and even move movement with the earth, like feeling the wind through my body, letting it move me. Um, there's just so much natural inspiration that comes from being connected to the earth, but I feel like being connected to the earth in an embodied way, you know, like really allowing myself to be an extension of the earth. I can just feel impulses and instincts like, um, a phrase comes through and I might write a poem or, um, yeah, like a note that I might start humming or tapping or rhythm might come through a bird pecking on a tree might, you know, be a source of inspiration. Um, and then the other thing that I feel like is probably most fruitful for me, which I think can feel a little heady, but to me feels embodied is just like Um, the connection to archetypal realms. Um, I really get a lot of inspiration out of studying archetypes and myths and stories and using them as a lens through which to see my own experience or like a jumping off point. So the album that I just released with my band last September is um, used the Odyssey as a framework And it's not about the Odyssey per se, but because I knew that story really well, it gave me access to explore my own mythos, but through this lens of the witches and the sea monsters and the ocean and the hero, you know, and how I related to that. Um, I think that's why I love astrology so much too, is just this like archetypal framework through which I can sense and feel inspiration. Um, yeah, and and I think I could say more about how it is that I actually sense and feel that inspiration within my body and and can yeah. and then follow it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um I mean, it's a combination of different sensations. You know, I think everyone knows the very general like light bulb go off where there can be this energy I think that happens like in the head and I think people might dismiss, you know, the sensations that happen in your head, but you can really feel your mind. You can really feel the energy that happens through and around your face and your skull and all of that. And so there can be that sensation of inspiration where it feels like a light goes off or a buzz or um, kind of like a, I can almost feel like it's like an opening door or something, you know, where you feel something click into place, even kind of mentally. It can be helpful to just track that there actually are real sensations that are there. And it's not just always ideas spinning, you know, um, 
intangibly. Um, I often feel, you know, in terms of emotions, like tracking where I feel those emotions in my body and allowing um, the way that those sensations feel to be the spark of inspiration. You know, when you feel that, I just started writing a song that, and it says like, uh, white knuckles, clenched jaw, like just being able to actually track those sensations in the body and that actually being the inspiration in a way, even if it's about anger or even it's about that emotion. Um, and then I often just like more generally feel inspiration as something that kind of rises from my root, like up through and out of my body. It can almost feel like there's this like surge of energy, maybe from the sacral, maybe even, you know, deeper, like in the root where if I slow down and I close my eyes and I take a deep breath and I listen and I, and I start with my base in that way, I can kind of follow that energy and follow the way that it travels through my body and out into my, often my arms and my hands and out into like a pen or what I'm writing with, but also up through my throat and up through my mouth and out into my voice. And, um, it's helpful, I feel like, to have kind of an imagery of the way that the inspiration or the muses kind of move through me in that way. Yeah, that just was really pleasurable sounding. Like it feels like being alive and feeling like we're really inhabiting ourselves. And I think there's something powerful here too about working with emotions creatively because emotions can be so like people can feel disempowered by their emotions because they are like a tidal wave or we feel consumed or like we can't control them, you know, like they're a force of nature. And um, there's so many ways I think that we're culturally entrained or we might have our own personal psychological patterns around stuffing or repressing emotional energy instead of working with it. And there's something very alchemical about being in the cauldron of these intense emotions and turning it into something. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel, you know, it depends. Um, something embodiment has supported me so much with is learning how to be with the emotion when it is that uncontrollable force. It is that force of nature where I'm not always in a creative state in that. I'm not always able to access, you know, but, (laughs) but I, but I am able to um, like, you know, even before this call, I was feeling some very intense emotions and I'm able to just like allow myself to punch the pillows on my bed and cry. And I went on a drive and just screamed and let it out as much as I could so that whatever the initial intensity of that feeling or that emotion is can move through. And then now I can actually feel how what I've gone through today can come back to that song I'm writing already, you know? Um, and, and, I can feel and sense the other threads of what that song is about. Wow. This is why I love like our professions because I feel like being professional is that like, yeah, I just was punching pillows and went on a drive and screamed and now I'm on this call. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There was a part of me that was like, I don't, you know, should I cancel? And I'm like, no, like it's, I feel like it's just a part of surfing. I feel like so often embodiment or even just yeah, doing what we do and being authentic about our lives and being a human. It's just like riding the waves and that I can still have feelings and show up as a professional (laughs) if I need to. Yeah. (laughs) So 
I would love to hear what happened in Mexico when you were traveling because just witnessing from social media, I felt something stir and emerge and it looked really powerful and juicy. Yeah. Well, I went to Loba with Carla Palomino and I was supporting her there. And, um, you know, it was really it, it's interesting because I'm supporting her there, but also participating in a lot of the work. So I was getting worked uh, alongside that. And what felt like really came through for me there was that there's a way I still avoid or still don't fully own myself as an artist. There's a way that I, um, I don't want to say like, bypass, but there's a way that I invest my energy into the things that are going to need to make me money, right? Like I invest my energy into the things that um, will help me survive in this way. And there was just this insight that came through about like that survival instinct that comes obviously like ancestrally um, and the depth of that pattern and because I'm half Mexican, it was my first time to Mexico. It felt like I was really reckoning, reckoning with that survival pattern and that feeling from my ancestors. It felt like they were saying to me, like, we, we worked really hard so that, like, you can be an artist. Like, we really did that work of survival so that you could get to a place that, like, you actually don't have to worry about that you know, in the same way you, you can be who it is that you want to be. And actually we are, we, you need to do it for us. Like you, you need to embody that path for us. Um, so there was, you know, that, that time when we were at the retreat and then I also stayed in Mexico for a couple of weeks after, and it just felt like over and over there was this reckoning I was having with how much I'm actually owning myself as an artist. And while I really love astrology and I really love the way that I kind of developed a way to work with embodiment in astrology, it helped me understand astrology so much more. And, you know, we're not only one thing. Um, I just really felt how I was kind of using like bad or maybe not bad, but like cliche business techniques in a certain way, like find your niche. Right. And so while I was getting into embodiment, I was thinking about, um, you know, everyone does embodiment. What could make me, what would set me apart from other people? Oh, well, I'm also into astrology. Let me combine these things. And here's this, like, this thing that I create now that's like unique, but also connected to these two fields. And well, again, I think a lot of that was authentic. Um, what's actually, what was actually really authentic for me and what I felt when I was in Mexico is that I'm, I'm an artist and I've been a singer since I was five years old. And when I first started learning embodiment, I wanted to actually create it more towards embodied creative expression. And I, I wanted to guide people through using their voices and writing poetry and moving their body as alchemical practices. And I had gotten away from that because of trying to survive. And, um, so yeah, there were just so many different things happened on that trip that felt like it was just me being met with almost that destiny or that encouragement from my ancestors that were like, no, like you, you have to be true to who you are. And, um, it was so overwhelming and it just felt like everything really made sense. 
um, everything clicked in a really powerful way. And um, it's been, it, it feels like a big initiation in a lot of ways to be like, okay, can you actually really be who you are? That's so beautiful, Katie. Um, this is like a really big and kind of broad question, but I'm inspired to ask it based on what you shared. But why does like pure creativity, stepping into creativity, stepping into the artist essence, why is that important for people, right? Like it's not necessarily about survival. Like one can survive without being an artist. So what is the, the reason that we go deeper into this artistic side? Yeah, well, I feel like, mm, let me see. I have thoughts on this too, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So could you, maybe could you I just say share. it one more? Could you say it one more time? Well, what I'm thinking about, you know, I am actually going through a similar process of investing a lot of energy in writing an audio novella. And it's not about making money. Like my creative energy these days is less about coming up with um, offerings. And I'm investing a lot of energy in writing something that has nothing to do with um, making a living exactly, but it is a very important and meaningful experience for me. And so I relate to that kind of um, quandary of having, you know, energy. Maybe sometimes it feels limited, right? It's not infinite. And am I going to direct my energy into pursuits that are monetized? Or am I going to be extravagant and be an artist, right? And I don't think they're completely separate camps. They do come together. I feel like my art goes into my offerings for sure. But thinking about this, hearing what you said, being in a similar process, I'm thinking about why is being an artist important, right? Like, why is it something to not neglect or put on the shelf forever? Like, why is it that we do it? Yeah, it something that I've really been feeling into that to be an artist is to be receptive to that creative impulse of the universe. You know, to be an artist is to feel that impulse, that instinct to generate something for someone else. So it's even the way I, I even think about it in the way that like a tree blossoms and then produces fruit for something else to for something else to then consume or ingest, you know? And I, I think that there's just something so inherent about our not only being human, but being an extension of the earth, that it is our nature to be creative. I think that, um, you know, it's arguable how much different we are really from other species, but it, it does seem to be one of the things that makes some species different than others, this like desire to create or leave behind a mark. And you can see handprints of cavemen on walls and, um, you know, images of buffalo <laughs> sketched onto pottery, like things that it's just kind of this very natural human instinct. And I think to deny that is to deny a part of our humanity. For someone to say, I'm not an artist, is to really deny like who we are. Um, and then I think this other part of it is that it is extremely alchemical and healing for ourselves and others to be a part of, to express ourselves artistically. Um, there was a quote that I shared by Gabrielle Roth that talks about um, like when someone was ill in like a village, the first thing people would ask them was, when did you stop dancing? When did you stop storytelling? When did you stop, um, 
singing. I think about this quote often, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And it's just so true that I think I think alongside the impulse to just create and that it's in our inherent earthly nature to do so, there's it's a part of our evolution. It's a part of seeing ourselves. It's a part of being seen by others that then allows us to evolve and change. How do you feel like working with embodiment and kind of finding more of yourself expressed has altered your day-to-day life or like your relationships? Yeah. Um, Well, I think some of the most like catalyzing thing for me about embodiment is the practice of not just moving my body, but in the specific method that I've learned um, is being witnessed and being seen in all of my expression. And so, um, so often we are not comfortable with allowing all of ourselves to be seen. And I'm still working that edge in a lot of ways. Um, But, you know, we repress and we hold in parts of ourselves and then they explode and come out sideways in ways we don't intend. And so learning how to be in my body and be with my present experience and let that come out in my shapes and my movements moment to moment, I think has supported me in being more authentic and being more um, vulnerable. And then also inherently influences my creative expression because I very, I very rarely experience any sort of like self-consciousness about what I create or what I do or, you know, day-to-day life. Like, I'm just like not afraid to be seen as a fool or as a performer or any of it, you know? And I think that that's, I see it in so many clients and so many people I work with, just this fear of being seen, you know, in our multitudes. That's brilliant, actually. Like I've been working with a thread. Um, My embodiment practice brought me to allowing myself to cry more because it was a couple years ago where I noticed like I don't cry much and I can't even make myself cry if I try like what's going on here and so it took me a while to kind of like court that part of me to have access to it again but what it's turned into is a an actual kind of ethic or practice around um as much as possible, not repressing my tears in the moment that they want to come out, even if I'm in a situation that feels inappropriate to cry in. And it's definitely altered my life. You know, it's allowed strangers to be kind to me. Like if I'm like out crying in public, um, it's allowed people to see me. It's allowed things to be worked out in relationship instead of me holding things in. But now I'm like, very sensitized when I'm talking with someone and I can feel this energy stuck in their throat and I see their eyes watering and I can feel them holding it back. Like I've started to even invite people like, you know, you can just cry, you know, and then as sudden, you know, suddenly like the tears come and there's just something about that particular, you know, there's, I think there's other ones, but that's one that I think about a lot is just, it's so primal to have like a distress response and then to like there's a relational field around that I know it can be complex and in the way people can abuse or like use tears to manipulate but I mean like authentic like the actual present moment of it being true to cry and what happens in the field yeah yeah I think what you're saying reminds me of you know 
yeah, doing embodiment practices often reveals to us the parts of ourselves that we're not comfortable with letting out or letting be seen. And I know when I first started doing embodiment practices, so often I would end up curled up in a ball in the fetal position. And I just wasn't aware of how often there was this freeze response happening inside of me. And only by making space for me to enter that space consciously and be there and see who is there, my inner child, my ancestors, like all all of this, um, all these patterns and connect with where that pattern came from in that place in a conscious way, did that pattern then soften so that as I move through my life, that I could really, I can really sense now when my freeze pattern is coming in, when my contraction is happening in my body. And then it's not ruling my life unconsciously. I can do something to just be aware or invite opening when that's happening. And again, I think that it's, um, maybe there's even a freeze response kind of related to like the holding back of tears as well, right? And that freeze response is essentially us holding back authentically who we are. Right. It's interesting yeah, to navigate these things in real time and just the awakening. Like right now, Uranus moving through Taurus has been something I've thought about so much with embodiment um, because Uranus relates to breakthroughs and technology and Taurus is the body. And so what I've been shouting out as much as I, you know, I'm talking about Uranus and Taurus is like embodiment is the inner awakening right now and just if we're going through life with unchecked freeze responses, I mean, that's just, that might be where we're at at any given moment, but there's a certain narrative that plays out. And as soon as we start to play with that material and start to open it and shift it, a new life can come forth, like new experiences that we didn't have the same access to before because we were in like a protective space around it. Yeah. Yeah. I know without a doubt that without embodiment, I would not be able to get up on stages and sing and perform in front of people the way I can now. Like it started first in a room of 13 women (laughs) and like being witnessed and held in this very intimate way that now I'm able to move completely differently. There was a whole inner revolution that happened. That's so cool. You were, and you were performing when you were younger, like with the choir. And so it was just different, like. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's interesting because I performed, I performed with choir like for a long time. And I remember having directors be like, move your body when you sing, like let it, but I couldn't. I was like, just like a lot more still. I I felt that growing up. It's like, what am I supposed to do with my arms? Yeah. You know? Yeah. There was like an an invitation for embodiment, but there, I was, there was too much self-consciousness and I would, um, I would sing, I would do solos. Like, it's really interesting. I was really brave. I would like um, sing a song on the guitar by myself at the talent show or like in between dance acts, like when the dance shows were performing, like I would be there like intermission. And so it's interesting to think about the confidence I had to do that. But now the way I can get on stage, like there's no self-consciousness. There's no thought happening about, oh, how am I looking? Am I doing this right? Like, oh, there's a lot of eyes on me. And even when I performed at a festival last um, September, I 
did something I've never done before, which I was like, okay, I'm not going to play my instrument and someone else is going to play something to fill the baseline. And I let myself just like sing and dance on stage and like take up a lot of space. And, um, I've never done that before. And it just felt so natural to like be singing and letting myself like fall down onto my knees as I'm singing and just like be as big and wild as I wanted to. Um, and so that piece of my embodiment feels like that would not have happened. I would still like kind of hide behind the my base or like still be really controlled in a certain way, hyper concerned of what people were thinking of me or or just that process of being perceived, you know? Yeah. Something that I feel into it that is like this alchemical process for the audience to even just be witnessing the code of that form of expression. I feel like it... Um, it reminds me of times I've been in an audience watching a performer and I get chills or I feel all of these inspirations that are related to my own life too. Like the code of the artist is interfacing with my own dreams and aspirations and a sense of fearlessness of like, I can go for it. Um, so that's what that made me think of and just how amazing it must feel to be in that spaciousness and freedom and play while being witnessed and to feel unabashed in that. Yeah, there's um, there's a couple things. Well, at, when I performed like that at that show, someone came, mo- so many people came up to us afterwards and just told us how great they thought we were. But one woman in particular came up to me and was like, I was so inspired by your set. I went to the beach, we were by a beach. She went to the beach and sat on the rocks and sang. And she was like, I haven't sang in a really long time. And so I got like direct feedback that it was awakening the muse in someone else that I allowed myself to go there. And it was so beautiful. Um and then I recently went to a concert in San Francisco. There's this band called Kikagaku Moyo. They're this like Japanese psychedelic rock band. And I've I've had this experience over and over seeing live music. It feels like it's one of the only acceptable forms of worship in our world now, <laughs> like public <laughs> collective worship where people just come together Yes, to witness this artist, but also to witness this thing that's coming through the artist, right? Like, and you can tell when an artist is really tapped and tuned into that, and it's like something else is moving them, and it's not actually about them, though you might be in love with them at the same time. Like, and I just had this experience seeing this band, and I was just, it was like I saw God on stage, and people are moving their hands like they're praying, and, um, you know, it was like psych rock, like, but it's so beautiful just to see everyone open themselves to feel that pulse of creative spirit, which you can call God, you can call whatever you want. I so relate to that. It's so touching to just see groups of people just like in that kind of flow and like ecstasy even. Um, You've talked about the muse a few times, so I want to open that up of like how you perceive courting the muses or being courted by the muses. The muses. you know, it's interesting the how I really feel myself in relationship to in in relationship to the muse is opening my body and allowing myself to be a channel. Like I literally invite her, them, whoever. It, mine feels like a her to move through me to come into my body, and it, so it is this kind of like erotic experience at the same time. But it requires me. Um, feeling really grounded and really surrendered to whatever wants to happen, whatever um, 
imp- creative impulses want to happen, allowing myself to um, really play and be unattached to what wants to come through. But that that's how I feel it on like an embodied level. I think some people might have more of a relationship with the muse where they like call upon her to come sit beside them or something, or, or it feels like the, it's this thing maybe outside of themselves, more of that traditional male poet kind of relationship with the muse where it's like they ask her to come down next to them, but I really ask her to come and possess me and like be inside of me. <laughs> I, that's so scorpionic too. It's like, let's merge fully. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting because there's so many, you know, I was thinking too about like channeling and how people can have like a very etheric relationship with the muses and what it feels like to actually invite it through the body. Um, I've been connecting with this too, in terms of being, you know, having a lot of past as a creative writer, like that's been my main artistic medium throughout my life. And it didn't start out embodied per se. And there's been different evolutions of it where my body came more online in the process, um, as well as discovering how to be moved for dance, because I've never considered myself a dancer really until the last maybe year or so. Um, and just to feel that level of joy or passion or like power in the body moving in that way. Um, and it's life-changing because it's not just when I'm making art or in a creative flow, it carries like an energetic trail throughout other just casual mundane moments of my life. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, um, my relationship to the muse, um, you know, it can happen. Sometimes it doesn't happen when I'm intentionally asking her to be with me. It's like, I'm taking a walk and a line comes through or a rhythm comes through or something like that. So there's ways that, you know, it will just happen. I feel like when I set down intentional time to be with my muse, which I've been doing for the last few weeks, like having a date with my muses, it's different because there might not be necessarily some inspiration there. Um, but I feel like my relationship with her there is like play. Like, okay, like here, here's an idea. Let's play with it for, for five minutes. Oh, it's not working. Let's move on to something else. Let's try something else. And, oh, let's listen to this song. And allowing myself to follow her kind of like, um, like playful energy, less attachment to what it is that's happening, you know? Because she de- the muse definitely doesn't like it if you're forcing her to produce something as well, you know? Um, but right. after, after 30 minutes, I might come out of a practice like that with like one line and that's great, you know? Um, but that impulse I also feel like is the same impulse I've had when I'm like, I need to quit my job or I need to tell this person how I feel about them. You know, it's the same kind of like creative, um, insight that, that generative force that comes through and then creates your life when you really learn how to trust it and how to listen and to be playful and to not be attached to the outcome. Wow. Yeah. Like just living creatively. And it's interesting too. I feel like some of my own process with creative, um, channeling has been, has really been that relationship And it's been not subjugating my muse and forcing it into a container or a box, but also not um, waking up in the middle of the night with wild, like mad creative passions because it's not sustainable for me. Like it doesn't do well for like my health, you know? And so I remember 
learning that as a kid because I was on this writing website um, and I learned about the muses. Like I like asked some adult, I was like, what's a muse, you know? (laughs) And then later had a writing teacher who was like, you can talk to your muse and ask them not to wake you up in the middle of the night. And that just felt really revelatory for me because it undid the kind of um, hypnotic allure of like the tortured artist uh, template and just gave me an out. Like, oh, I can be in relationship with the muse, but I don't have to like, it doesn't have to be an issue. Yeah. It also makes me think about how I think a lot of people deny themselves as artists if they don't have those kind of, you know, insights that wake them up in the middle of the night or if they don't feel like they're like whacked over the head by inspiration, you know, and like that happens, you know, here and there. But um, for the record, too, I'm down for the ride occasionally, just not as a lifestyle all the time. Would, yeah. Yeah. It, it's so beautiful when that happens. Like I was working on. Um, oh, I had this experience a couple of weeks ago where, um, well, I guess I want to share this. Like, I, I really like having, like I said, an archetypal framework to work with when I'm creating and I'm trying to write new music again. And it just really clicked. I'm like, oh, I need to use astrology. Like, I need to use the signs as like a bouncing off point for this because I've just been studying astrology so much for the last couple of years. And um, so I was like, okay, I'm feeling like working with Leo. And I went and looked through my journals and found I had guided an embodiment practice and did all this journaling around Leo and how I was feeling it. And then I realized I already wrote a poem and it was only a few edits away from like becoming a song, really. Like I could just harvest that. Um, and so it was really beautiful to see how, you know, this thing was already creating itself through me just because I've been open to creating all along. And so much more of my, um, like when that came through, I felt like this song just came through me like in a force. And it was totally one of those moments where it was like, oh, wow, like the muses really fed me that. I basically had 75% of a song done in like 20 minutes. And that's so like, awe. it's humbling, really. It's like, awe. like I feel a lot of awe at that process. And a lot of the process is also just showing up and playing and working hard and, um, surrendering and trusting and not getting too frustrated all along, you know? Yeah. I feel that from what you're sharing too, this sense of these creative light bulb or like electric, something comes together, suddenly moments do happen, but it's part of a landscape of a practice and the practice itself doesn't always have to be sparkly or glamorous. It just is a day in the life as an artist. And I think that, you know, when it comes to courting the muses, showing up consistently for them, whether anything happens or not, really feeds them. Like they want to feel that you're in devotion and they want to feel that you're lighting a candle for them and that you're trying and that you're open to receive what they have to give you. But you can't force them to give you anything. Right. That feels so similar to just courting like one's own body too, of just like, I'm going to be present with you and you don't have to be a certain way today. Like, yeah, yeah. I really feel that like that resonates for me in some way when I might be trying to be really present with my body, but I actually feel kind of disassociated or separate from it, you know, and just like accepting it and being with that disassociation or that numbness, um, instead of getting frustrated with it, you know, for not feeling more alive or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's just relating. It's just relationship. 
Um, tell us more about your upcoming program, Muse. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited about it. I feel like it's, it's interesting because to be a part of embodiment or, um, you know, what people call healing or healing practices like that, um, it feels like a lot of people, hmm, <laughs> you asked me this question and my brain's like, uh, it really, Muse really feels like a remembrance to me of what alchemical healing practices are at human for humans without needing so many other technologies and things beyond ourself. I, I really feel like the source of so much of the inspiration for Muse is that quote by Gabrielle Roth, that just through dancing and singing and storytelling and allowing yourself to share your creative expression, immense amount of growth and healing happens through that. And I know it did for me, even before I ever got into any healing practices or yoga or breathwork or embodiment even, like just getting um, a master's in creative writing and experiencing workshops and people seeing me and people telling me um, how they were moved by something that I wrote. And like those were such healing, transformative experiences for me. And I really want to give that opportunity to more people to develop themselves and be seen as like the inherently creative and expressive people that we are through these really accessible practices, moving your body, making sound, playing with words, and then allowing yourself to be seen in that. Just felt so much Leo Moon magic in this. Like, <laughs> I love this placement. Like, Leo Moon is one of my favorite moon placements because I feel like there's this, um, you know, definite creative pulse, but there's also a reflective creativity. I feel like Leo Moon's... Um, reflect the brilliance and creativity in others. And there's a nurturing quality in that. And it reminds me of the nurturance of child's developmental psychology of like how important it is to be seen and how when we're seen, it's easier to integrate parts of our nature into our self-concept instead of putting it into shadow and repressing it. And so it, it is actually like important, like at this psychological deep level to be seen. Um, and yeah, I can so just connect with how magical and alchemical it is to do storytelling or to be witnessed in that. Yeah. Um, I think of so many friends of mine or so many people who I see as brilliant artists and they're like, oh no, no, I'm not an artist. And then I also see how they don't take full creative responsibility for their lives in a similar way. And it feels like this magic could happen if they really allowed themselves to be seen um, in their, in their mythos. Cause that's a part of Muse too, is like not just writing together and moving our bodies and storytelling, but also identifying like, what is your story? Like, what are the, the trials that you've been through? What are the, um, what are the different chapters? What's your origin story? And getting really comfortable with all these different parts of ourselves and then being seen by it so that you kind of know the arc or the spiral of your own life and you can stand in that strongly and stand in that confidently and sense, again, like then what the next chapters are, like what is really there waiting for you? What, what comes next? That lights something up for me of like how there is that 
element or like that lens that we can take on life of being creators here, that we're creating our reality, right? There's many influences that we're not creating all of them, but in this creator state, it is being an artist with life and that parallel of like the self-denial of not claiming one's identity as artists and then also not claiming agency in life where we possess it. I can really see that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. (laughs) How has it felt as this program is like gestating? Like it feels very alive. Like I felt it as a frequency when you announced it. So I'm just wondering how it's moving you um, behind the scenes. Yeah. Well, I've actually been sitting with it for months. Like I felt like the awareness of it came into my field in like November or December. There's actually like a companion course that I want to do in the fall called Mad Woman. And so it's like these two huge parts of me. Um, And so I really just sat with it and listened. And um, it feels like everything that happened in Mexico was like preparing me like, okay, like you really have to own this now really own yourself as an artist and no need to try to fit a niche or no need to try to survive. Like just trust that by being who you are, abundance will come and um, the people will will come who really need this in their lives as well. Um, But I think that the most profound part of holding it again is just the way that I've started communing with my muses in a really serious way and not realizing that I hadn't really been communing with them. I, like I said, I released an album um, last September and that took a lot of energy. Like that was just years of creation. And so I kind of needed a break, but to put Muse out and then be like, all right, I have to be with my muses every day and see what happens. And then to feel like a song come through so powerfully within like four days of doing that practice. And then another song start to like, feed its way, I feel, again, very humbled and um, feel really grateful just to, I've said this before, like, even if for whatever reason, you know, no one signed up, the way that this frequency has brought me back into connection with my muses is enough. Like, I feel, I feel they're here with me and that whatever is happening is supposed to happen. This is really amazing, Katie. I'm excited for it. I'm excited for um, the people who come to it and what transformation will ensue. And for those of you listening, Katie is a genius, like (laughs) very like profound alchemical magic coming from you, um, channeling through you and in the space that you hold. So how can people connect with you, um, learn more about Muse or connect with you about that, work with you? Yeah. Um, if you follow me on Instagram, um, there might be a link somewhere, but it's underscore Katie Avila underscore. Um, you can see I have posts about it, but also if you just click the link in my bio, you can go to the website and, um, I do offer a free discovery call to everyone. So it's an opportunity to not just talk and connect with each other, but to, um, experience some of what might happen in Muse with me one-on-one and, Within Muse, it's a group container, but it also includes one-on-one mentorship, which I'm really excited about um, to support people one-on-one with developing their relationship to their own creative impulse. Awesome. And can I leave the link in the notes for this album too? Yeah, yeah. That would be really special. Okay. I have a friend I have to send it to who's like 
was an Odyssey scholar and whatnot. So yeah, um, yeah. thank you so much, Katie. Um, it's been so inspiring to talk to you. And this has felt like medicine for me as well. And just kind of like kicking up inspirations about the meaning and value of making art um, and just how good it feels to be in that process and to really hold the meaning and like the sacred quality around it, that it is important, that there is a working that's happening through it. And I know that there's a lot of creatives listening right now. So I hope that they're also feeling that similar kind of rush of enthusiasm around leaning into this aspect of themselves. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been really enlivening to talk about it again. Like I can feel, I mean, I can't stop smiling. I just feel all of it moving through me and it's really um, like a blessing to share that with you as well. Thank you, Katie. Thank you for listening. If you've been enjoying this podcast and you have something to say about it, I would love to read your review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you take a screenshot of your review before you click submit and email it to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll send you a resource library about creating and elevating your reality. This library contains several hours of content about the intersection between kind of create your reality teachings and astrology. And it includes one of my favorite talks I've ever given called Leo and the Evolution of Alternate Realities. Thank you so much for listening. Your reviews really support the growth of this podcast, as well as your word of mouth when you share this podcast with friends or post it to your stories on Instagram and tag me at Sabrina Monarch. Thank you so much.